0: Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast and being a part of our church family here at New Hope. Our senior pastor, Dr. Benji Kelly, is currently leading us through the entire Bible in a series called The Story. Now here's this week's podcast. Welcome to the Kenya campus, which we got some of your people here today. Welcome to <laughs> y'all, y'all going cray cray today. Welcome to Columbia campus, Sanford campus, Garner campus, Hillsborough campus, North Raleigh campus, NCCIW Internet campus, Coffee House campus, and Durham campus. Welcome to Movement. Oh, we're going to have church up in here today. We're going to have church. Hey, uh, today is Hope Rising Sunday. And that if you don't know what that means, that means that we're halfway through a faith-raising campaign that enabled us to reach, teach, and release like never before. That included the building expansion here in Durham. That included refurbishments at all of our campuses. That included uh, going into the mission field like never before, which you're about to hear about. And so today is uh, it's, a, its a Sunday. Once a month, we give you updates on Hope Rising and uh, I'll show you where we are. This is for the movement, not just for the Durham campus. Um, We're in a $6.6 million campaign. We just crossed over the halfway point. And you guys are doing amazing because we just crossed over the halfway point of giving. 53% you have given to this campaign. I just want to encourage you, encourage you, encourage you. Let's stay faithful to the very end. We're about 18 months out from Hope Rising coming to an end. And I just wanted to love on you and say, well done, well done, well done. Secondly, um, you should know that we, everybody who registered for the Insight Conference this past weekend, uh, as a part of their registration ticket has gone into, and this is really the vision of my wife, okay? It's not my vision. My wife is the one who will not let this rest. Um, And that (laughs) that is taking Insight global to Kenya. So, yeah. So we... We, in 2017, it looks like we're probably going to, we still got some things to work out, but it looks like we're going to be taking the leadership conference to Kenya, and what you know about internationals, if you study what's going on in the church today, is international pastors and church leaders are starving for leadership, and um, this is where we're going, so we're excited about that. Third announcement, I just got a lot of good praise reports. Do you guys remember about six weeks ago, maybe maybe two months ago, when I told you to pray about uh, New Hope Church taking over the Ark Orphanage? And you got so excited about that. And, um, you know, a lot of you have been there and you've seen pictures of it. Do you remember about two weeks after that, I said, from this very location, I said, I don't know, I'm just I'm just wondering, somebody might be here that would just want to, Completely by the Ark Orphanage. Remember that? Yep. Well, that happened. <laughs> um. We got a call that Monday that a beautiful family in the church donated all the money through New Hope and we have bought the Ark Orphanage. Now there's a domino effect. There's a domino effect. What's really cool about that is that freed up more funds for us to buy the property adjacent from the Ark Orphanage to launch our very first grandchild. You're like, what you talking about? Stick with me here for a moment. What you talking about? So we've got 10 campuses. Whenever we launch a campus, I consider that us um, having some children. We're just, we're just birthing out some children. You with me? Follow the analogy for a moment. So we've we've had we, we've got 10 children that we birthed. This is the very first time one of our campuses has launched a campus. So now we have a grandchild, a brand new church in Kenya, and I have. The Kenya Campus pastors here today, I'm going to call them up, pastors Joshua and Gloria, welcome them. And under their leadership and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we have we have New Hope Thika Town, Thika Town, T H I K A, Thika Town. That campus is going on three years old. Um, under their leadership and four other amazing st- indigenous staff members in Kenya, under their leadership, that church has grown, and we are launching our first grandchild, and it is New Hope Kiganjo, Kiganjo Campus, and we are so excited about it. So now we've got the Ark Orphanage, and right across the street from the Ark Orphanage, which will be the New Hope Ark Orphanage, now we're gonna have our 11th campus. Praise his name, church, (laughs) praise his name. And I've asked them, thank you for honoring them too. You, You make me so proud. I've asked, um, I've asked them to share a few words to bring greetings from our Kenya campus, and so whatever they want to share, again, this is Pastors Joshua and Gloria. They are amazing leaders. They love the Lord God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and uh, I'm just honored and, and thankful to have you on the team, and what God has done in and through you is so special. Share a few words with the church.
1: Thank, thank you very much for honoring us. Uh, in Kenya, we, we don't greet one another good morning in church. We say, "Praise the Lord." Praise the Lord. So, if I say, "If I say, praise the Lord," you respond by saying, "Amen." Okay, let's go. Oh, praise good. the Lord. Amen. Now, that is as good as saying good morning. And so, we are really grateful and uh, mm. thank God that uh, we've been able to, to partner with us uh, in in making sure that the gospel is able to be extended to the uh, to the extremes that we that we have in Kenya. And more um, so, very thankful also for the prayers. Mm. You know, I know that there are guys who pray with us. I know that there are guys who send us emails just to encourage us. But ab- above everything, we are also grateful for the generosity mm. and the giving that you've been giving towards all this work. And so may the good Lord bless you, and uh, may you may all the hands and the minds and the, mm. and, and and the writings that have gone towards to ensure that uh, we are now having a grandchild. Mm. May you be blessed, and may the Lord be with you. God Amen. Bless
0: you. All right, all right, since y'all getting all cray-cray, let me see how much you learn. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Very good, very good. (laughs) Pastor Gloria, talk to us. Um,
2: We are truly grateful for this opportunity to be here, and this has been a very refreshing week for us. Um, as, as, as he has said, there's, there's just so, so much God is doing in our context. And one of the scriptures that has really been running through this year as we've been praying and uh, seeking God is from Isaiah 60 that says, uh, arise and shine for your light has come and mm. the glory of the Lord rises upon yeah, you. Yeah, that's and then good. it, co- it that's continues good. to say, see. Darkness is over you. I think darkness is over the peoples, Hmm. but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears Mm. over you. Mm. God has done amazing things, shining his light into very dark and broken places of our community in Thika. And we are seeing growth. Um, we are seeing people coming to the Lord uh, from the most unlikely quarters. We are seeing, uh, we have had just our life group expo the, just before mm-hmm. we came. And life groups have been birthed. Uh, uh, the Sunday just before we came, there was a baptism. Mm. And, and, and and quite a number of people were baptized. Children were baptized. We are just seeing God doing amazing things. So. And so... We celebrate. Uh, We celebrated two years. We've been down on the work uh, for three years, but we launched two years ago. And so we celebrated our two-year anniversary. And what we were doing is that we were celebrating what God has done in our midst. And so thank you so much for everything, for the support and everything.
0: Honor him one more time. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Love you. So good. So good. So good. Hey, why don't you stay on your feet? Why don't you stay on your feet? And Because in just a moment, the other ones are going to join you. Yeah, they're, they're already joining. Uh, I'm making a call in the moment. We're not going to show that video. It serves absolutely no purpose today. Um, I am... <laughs> It really doesn't. Uh, I thought about that at the first service. It is my awesome uh, privilege to introduce to you my friend who is going to bring the word today. He is a North Carolina boy. I'm talking about Derek Idle. He's been a pastor for 15 years. He's not a stranger to us. Those of you who are clapping, you remember him. He has been at three of our four Insight conferences he is a pastor at 12 Stone Church, one of the leading churches in our nation. His senior pastor and I are our best buddies. We ride Harley-Davidson's together. I just love this church, and I love Derek Idol. He's married, he's got a daughter, and he has a boy on the way coming soon. And I just want you to do what you always do, give honor where honor is due. For the man of God, preaching the word of God in the house of God. Give it up!
3: You don't need that video. <laughs> well, you can be seated. <laughs> felt like felt like I was in a wedding and the bride just came down front, and I'm like, all right, everybody's standing and looking at me. What am I supposed to do? Oh, you got to tell them to sit down. <clears throat> I've done that before. Uh, let me get situated here. Well, good morning morning. let me tell you it is such a privilege to be here with you today let me tell you something god is doing some crazy stuff at new hope church like i'm like I'm, i'm just telling you i get to go around i see other churches i see other things going on this right here does not happen in other places around the globe like we we have an amazing privilege to be a part of something like this, and Pastor Benji, thank you so much for your leadership, for what you guys are doing, and the leadership of y'all staff. Your volunteers are amazing. Give God a hand for what you get to be a part of. I mean. The New Hope movement is a global movement. Like you guys are just not making a difference here, but you are making a difference in Kenya and other places. What an amazing testimony of God's faithfulness. I even love being here. Last time I was here and I got to preach on this stage, this building wasn't quite this big. And uh, I look around and I'm like, man, this is incredible. The walls have been knocked out. The building has been expanded. And you know what that does? That opens up opportunity opportunity for you to invite, opportunity for you to share about what God's doing. There's seats, empty seats. There's not a lot of them, but there's empty seats. And these seats should have names of people that you're praying for and thinking about that would come and be a part of what God's doing here. Because I believe that God wants to change people's lives through his son, Jesus. And we're going to talk about that this morning. In fact, we've been in this series called Jesus for President. And I love that title. I love it even more after watching the debates this past week. (laughs) Lord, help us, right? You know, but listen, I just want you to know, I'm not concerned. I'm not concerned. In fact, um, this is not in my notes, which is a bad thing when the pastor's not even through his intro when he's already off his notes. You know what I'm saying? You're like, all right, where are you going to cut? Probably nowhere. But anyways, and so, uh, so, uh. But, but, but you think about it, you know, I think about it and I think, man, you know, I'm, I'm not concerned about it because God's in control. He's sovereign. He is all powerful. Nothing happens out from underneath his authority. In fact, Romans would tell us clearly that he's the one who puts all the leaders in place anyway. And it doesn't matter who the king of the United States is. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And whether that king decides to submit to him or not submit to him, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. He is still on the throne and still Lord of all. And the truth is, because of his goodness and grace and his sovereignty, what if his will isn't for our nation to thrive? Ever thought about that? Think about Israel, God's people, God's nation. But Israel lost its way. And they were taken out. Judah was left. They were still hanging on. And then Judah lost its way and they were taken out. We live in a country in a lot of ways it's lost its way. In fact, sometimes I think our perspective just needs to change. I was uh, at this, uh, this pastor's thing about a year and a half ago and it was student pastors and leaders from some of the largest churches across the world, across the globe and there was a, there was a pastor there who was from Cairo, Egypt. He's in the largest church in Cairo, Egypt. And in Egypt, it is, it is uh, frowned upon to be a Christian. It is illegal to proselytize and tell people about Jesus. You can be thrown into prison. He says, we often have to smuggle people out of the country so that, they don't get, so that they don't get executed, so that they don't get arrested and thrown in prison for the rest of their life because of their faith in Jesus. I mean, it's a pretty intense thing. And he gets up and he's sharing and he's teaching. And he's telling us different things about what God's doing over in, in the Middle East. And, and he said this, he says, I can tell you, that as the American church, I can tell you in one sentence, how you guys don't understand what is going on in the Middle East. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, give me your sentence, I'm excited. And he says, you don't understand what's going on in the Middle East because you think that ISIS is a bad thing. Yeah. They're raping women, they're murdering people. Like who is this pastor, you know? He said this, he said, there has been nothing to spread the gospel of Jesus in the last 2000 years, more influential than what ISIS has done because what has happened is that ISIS has came in and they're martyring Christians by the hundreds, by the thousands. And as they are, the other people are standing by and they're watching this happen. And they're beginning to question the fabric of everything that they believed in their life. And they're coming to faith in droves because of the testimony of these martyrs who were dying for Jesus. He says, you don't understand suffering in the United States. That's why there's no revival here. He went on and he said that, it just reminds me back of back in the early church when the first 300 years of the church Studies show that about three million people were martyred for their faith in Jesus. Yet, by the end of the second, or by the end of the third century, there were seven million believers. That's where we get a famous quote from one of our early church fathers, and the quote is this: "The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the gospel." It was seed; it spread something powerful about it so i'm just telling you i'm not worried about it god's in control he's on the throne he's the king he's the king of kings and lord of lords now let me give you a little recap about where we've been if if you've been here for a little while, or maybe this is your first time, you know that uh, you, they've been going through, uh, we've been going through the whole entire Bible all throughout this year, which is an incredible thing. And and I'm gonna just kind of give you a little recap, recap about where we've been. You've you've went through the Old Testament and we know that the Old Testament is kind of the beginning story of the salvation history of God, all of the prophecies of the Old Testament and everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. And then so you get to the end of the Old Testament, the close of it, there's 400 years of silence. This is a dark time in, in the Jewish uh, uh, you know, uh, for the Jewish people. But all throughout literature during this time, we see this expectation for this Messiah who would come. You get to the end of this 400 years around 4 BC, and we have the birth of Jesus. When Jesus steps on the scene, there is miraculous supernatural happenings going on around the birth of Jesus. And I believe in miraculous and supernatural things because if God doesn't exist, there is nothing outside of the natural. But if there is a God who is supernatural, then things can be outside of the natural. And so Mary uh, is is uh, is becomes pregnant. Jesus is born of a virgin conceived by the Holy Spirit. We see that magi in the east see the star and and they come and they travel to be there with Jesus and to worship him as king. I mean, this is a incredible scene that we see in the beginning pages of the new testament in fact if you got your bibles you can open up to the book of matthew and you can see all the way through matthew chapter one and two this story unfold and we see all of these fulfillments in matthew one and two of the prophecies of the old testament one after another being pointed back that this is who who you've been looking for this is who you've been expecting and then in matthew chapter three We get to the baptism of Jesus, sort of the inauguration of his ministry. John the Baptist, the the forerunner to Christ, comes on the scene, and and he takes Jesus, and, and he baptizes Jesus. And what I love about that story is that when Jesus comes up out of the water, it says this, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And it said, and a voice from heaven called out, this is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. What I love about that picture is that this is before Jesus has done anything. He hasn't healed anybody. He hasn't been teaching. He hasn't been doing anything other than building in his life for the last 30 years and preparing to step up on the platform to take this stage that God would give him for that time in order to impact the entire world. And God says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. I love this about God the Father. That God the Father doesn't just look at Jesus, but he looks at all of us. And he says, you are my sons and you are my daughters and I love you. It's not about what you do and it's not about your performance, which in a culture that we live in that is so all about performance, that is such a freeing message to hear, right? That when he looks at you, he says, this is my son, this is my daughter whom I love. With him or her, I'm well pleased. That God the Father is the, he's the, he's the type of dad that, that tells you he's proud of you and he loves you before the game. That's the type of father that we, that we worship, that we love. And then when you get to Matthew chapter four, we see Jesus goes into the wilderness. He's tempted by Satan. He overcomes that temptation. And Matthew chapter four, verses 17, we see this key verse, the key verse for the teaching for our time today. This is where Jesus, this is what Jesus's platform that he was to take was built on. Let me read this to you. Check this out. And verse 17, it says this. It says, and it'll be up on the screens, Matthew chapter four, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Notice it says from that time on. So this was the message of Jesus from the time he started his ministry until he ended his ministry, that repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, let me tell you something. This conversation about the kingdom of heaven is a big deal because Jesus talked more about the kingdom of heaven than he did anything else. He taught more about the kingdom of heaven than he did about love. Jesus taught more about the kingdom of heaven than he did about serving. More about the kingdom of heaven than he did about forgiveness, money, name the topic. Jesus taught more about the kingdom of heaven than anything else. In fact, if you read through the book of Matthew, kind of what we've been filing through here in this conversation, you will see that he'll oftentimes start phrases like, the kingdom of heaven is like. He's trying to help us understand and realize that there is another kingdom out there. It's not just the material, tangible, physical world that we see in our day in and day out lives that we can see and touch and feel. But there is a kingdom that is great, that it is amazing. And if you can understand it, then it will change your life. In fact, he would go on and tell us that repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near that, that for himself, he has now come near. He's ushered in the kingdom of heaven. And if we would draw near to him, we can have access to that kingdom of heaven. And he talks about how amazing it is. In fact, he tells a story in Matthew chapter 13. If you were to flip over a little further, he says in verse 44, he says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, He hid it again, and then in his joy, I love that word joy right there, he went and sold all that he had bought to get that field. He sold all that he had and bought that field. Now, during this day, during the first century, um, the common person did not have access to banks. Banks were only for the elite in society. And so because they didn't have access to banks, typically what they would do is they would bury their valuables in order to keep them secure. It was kind of like their own little like saving spot. And so they had land and their land kind of became their bank. The problem is, is that sometimes war would happen and you would be driven from your home or interruption of life or moving away or someone would pass away or you would just forget where you buried your stuff. How many people lose their keys and wallet and phone all the time? You know what I'm saying? You people would have lost your treasure. Forget where you buried it. And so so they would forget. And so what would happen is someone else would assume the property or come in. And and then one day they would be out in the garden and they're digging and they're kind of making their garden. And they would hit something. They're like, what's that? And they'd pull it back and it'd be this this treasure, something of great value. Now, in Roman and Jewish law, what we know is that uh, there was kind of this age-old adage that, finders keepers is the deal so you didn't have to return it it's just yours now that you found it so can you imagine the excitement of a home owner a landowner if you were to find some treasure on your property that'd be pretty cool and what he's saying here is he said hey there was this man he's he's traveling along and maybe he's kind of looking for land maybe he's not he's piddling around and And he finds his treasure on this property and he buries it and he hides it. And then in his joy, he goes off and he sells everything that he owns so he can take possession of the land. Because what was on that land, the treasure, was far more valuable than anything that he had in his possession. That this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. That the kingdom of heaven is so amazing. It's so glorious. It's so awesome that we would be be willing to give up anything in our life to take possession of it. Now, I love talking to students. I'm a student pastor at heart. Where are my teenagers at? We got some teenagers in the house. Somebody, yeah, all right, yeah, yeah. Let me talk to you for a minute. All right, so let's just, let's just pretend for a minute. Let's say, let's say that you're about to be 16 years old and it is time to buy you a car. That's an exciting time. For the rest of you in the room, you remember that time um, and, uh, and how exciting that is when you get to buy a car. And so you got an idea of the type of car that you wanna buy. Now let me just be clear, the idea of the type of car that you want to buy and own is probably not the type of car that is in your budget to own. You know what I'm saying? Like I had an idea that I wanted a car here, and the car I ended up getting was here. And, and, and so and so you're, you're riding down the road one day with one of your friends, and you're cruising along and and you look over and you see this parking lot, this, this uh, you know car sales lot, and you see... The cost. You tell your friend, hey, pull in there, man, I need to check that car out. And so your friend pulls in and you say, hey, I'm going to go look at this car. And your friend says, all right, I'm going to do some stuff on my phone. Go ahead. And so you get out and you go over and it's like the Shekinah glory of God is over this car. You're like, you're like drooling all over it and you're looking at it and in the windows. And so you go inside the dealership and you say, hey, can I get the key to the car? I'd like to check that car out. And the dealer says, man, I'm busy. I got some paperwork, but here's the key. You can go look at it, check it out, do whatever you need to do. And so you go out to the car and you open it up and you sit in the seat. and it is. So I don't want to go down any further. I might not be able to get up. And uh, and you put your hands on the steering wheel, and it just fits your hand perfect. And you say, this is the car. And then you look at the sticker price. <laughs> and the car is $10,000. The problem is you only have 2500 in your budget to buy the car. It's $7,500 more than what the car, uh, is more than what you actually have to purchase the car. And you're disappointed, but you love it, and you keep drooling on it, and you pop the trunk, and you go back to the trunk, and as you open the trunk, you notice that the carpet in the corner of the trunk is tucked, is kind of lifted up a little bit. So you, you lift up the carpet, and as you lift up the carpet, you notice where the, the, uh, the uh, spare tire in the back of the, uh, the trunk of the car is supposed to sit. There's nothing there. In fact, instead of a spare tire, there are five linen bags. So you open up the bag and inside of the bag are crisp $100 bills. Amen, brother. Preach on. In each bag is $1 million. In all the bags together, $5 million cash in the trunk of this car. That's exciting. By the way, that's a lot of money for a teenager. That's a lot of money for anybody, right? And, and, so, and so you, 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 you tuck the, the carpet in so nobody else sees that. You close the trunk. You lock the car up. You go get the guy the keys. You get in the car with your friend. You don't tell your friend anything. <laughs> you go home, and you start looking for everything that you have to sell so that you can make enough money so you can go back and buy that car. Now, what are you going to sell? Everything your bike, your Xbox, your cell phone, your little brother, like whatever (laughs) you need to sell to get that car. You know what I'm saying? Because everything that you own is so small in comparison to what's in the back of that car. And this is the story that Jesus is saying. He said, listen, listen, listen. Everything in your life, your whole entire life, pales in comparison to what it means To be a part of and grab a hold of and have access to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus talks so much about this kingdom of heaven. He wants us to get this. It's a killer deal. It's a no-brainer trade. But why? I'm glad you asked. You didn't, but I'm going to pretend like you did. I want to draw it for you. You take a note, you can take notes and The Bible would teach us that there are two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of heaven and there is the kingdom of the world. The Bible teaches there's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the world. Now in the kingdom of heaven, God is on the throne. He is the king. In the kingdom of heaven, everything submits to the rule and reign of God. The kingdom of heaven, in fact, means the rule and reign of God. That underneath the kingdom of heaven, the patterns, the ideas, the beliefs, your worldview... Everything about you submits to the authority of God. And what we know is, is that the Bible is our guide for that. So if you say, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, I'm a part of the kingdom of heaven, then you are saying as well as a part of that, that my life is submitting to the authority of God. And therefore I have to submit to what God says as a part of that. That my life, my ideas, my beliefs, how I see everything passes through the filter of God's word, the kingdom of heaven. And what we know, and the Bible teaches us over and over again, and what Jesus would tell us is that the kingdom of heaven leads to life. True life, real life, full life, John 10, to 10 would tell us. But then the Bible would also tell us there's the kingdom of the world. And the kingdom of the world is the physical, material world that we see. And when the Bible talks about the world, it is talking about the culture of our world. Now, our culture has a voice as well. Our culture has ideas, our culture has beliefs, our culture has you know, uh, uh, patterns and things about it that, that are around us all the time. In fact, we are inundated by the culture of our world because we actually live in this world, it's culture. Now, let me give you a couple things about this that you need to know. The first is if you're taking notes, you can put this down. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the world are at odds with one another. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the world are at odds with one another. Let me explain it to you like this. There are messages that the kingdom of the world, the culture of our world teaches and says and ideas about it that actually go against what God and the kingdom of heaven would say about it. So let me give you an example. I remember when I was in my mid-20s and I was kind of heading towards that thought of getting married to the girl that I was dating. Let me tell you a little bit about the girl that I was dating. My now wife um, decided when she was in high school and in college that she was gonna focus on her school and she was gonna focus on her relationship with God. She said, I don't want guys to be a distraction from the important things in my life. And so I am the only guy my wife has ever dated. On our wedding night, my wife was a virgin. Kept herself pure. Now, I'm dating my wife and all of my friends, which many of my friends are not believers, and I'm hanging out with my friends, and my friends are like, man, let me get this straight, Derek. So you're telling me that you're a Christian and you're not going to sleep with this girl before you get married. That's a message of the world. That's right. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. Bro, you've got to test drive the car before you take it off the lot. You know what I'm saying? You've got to make sure you're sexually compatible before you guys get into a relationship. This is what the kingdom of the world says. (laughs) Parents, this is the message your students are hearing. That's absurd waiting until your wedding night to have sex. What, are you kidding me? I said, so let me get this straight. What you're saying is, is that You want the girl that I want to marry one day or that you want to marry one day to go out and sleep with as many guys as she can so she can get practice in the bedroom so that when her and I get together, she will be good in the bedroom and know how to please me. Therefore, we will be sexually compatible and have an amazing marriage. That doesn't sound right. I said, how about this? How about, let's say I live to 80. Life expectancy for me is 78, but uh, let's say I lay off the pizza a few times. Let's say I live until I'm 80 years old. And let's say that I get married sometime around 25 years old. And my wife and I have kept ourselves pure until our wedding day. As virgins, we have got 55 years to practice and figure it out. I don't even have to give you the Bible. I can just give you common sense. And here's why. Here's why. Because Jesus says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Lies can never overtake truth. Truth always rises to the surface. Always rises. Not only, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and let me just come back to this. They're at odds with one another in, in another way as well. In fact, you, you keep reading through Matthew, you get to Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And we see that Jesus will say things in the Sermon on the Mount. And all throughout Scripture, he'll say things like this. He'll say, he'll say you have heard that it was said. And then he follows it up with, but I say to you. See, you've heard that it was said. You've bought into something. You've believed something, a system, an idea, a pattern, a belief. But I say to you because he wants to correct that. And we can all understand the messages that the culture teaches us, right? Jesus would say it like this in in the Sermon on the Mount. He would say, you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. That's right. Bo, you hit me, I'm going to hit you back. Eye for an eye and two for a tooth. We get that. And then Jesus says, now when somebody puts their hands on you, you turn the other cheek. What? See, when somebody hits you in the face and slaps you across the face, it hurts your ego more than it does your body. We live in a culture that doesn't know how to turn the other cheek. It is all about our offenses. It's all about the things that people don't like about us. It's all about how people treat us. It's all about that. And I become a victim every single time. What would it be like if the church just turned the other cheek? We're different. Jesus says, Right after this, he says, hey, listen, uh, let's, say that, uh, let's say that someone asks you to go a mile with them. He says, go with them too. So we get this idea, this phrase, this cliche, go the extra mile are like, yeah, I get that. Jesus, I'll go the extra mile. You know what? In my home uh, with my wife, I'm going to go the extra mile because if I want to have a great marriage, I need to go the extra mile in my home. And you know what? Uh, Jesus, um, I, with my kids, I'm going to go the extra mile. But Jesus is not talking about the people that we love. He's talking about our enemies. See, the context of the scripture is a Roman soldier by law could ask anyone to carry their backpack for one mile and you are legally obligated. So for a Jewish man, this was a degrading thing. This was this was uh, uh, you know the Romans were oppressive. It was degrading, and not only was it degrading, but it was an inconvenience. You're right in the middle of something. And some Roman soldier comes over and be like, "Hey man, carry my bag." He's like what? And it would infuriate them. And Jesus says now nah, listen Listen, when they tell you to carry that pack a mile, you carry it a mile. But when you get to the end of the mile, you say, "Hey, can I carry it another mile?" and their mind will be blown. See, the first mile, they're your enemy. The second mile, they're your friend. It's the culture of the kingdom of heaven. It's different. Jesus is teaching them how to live out what he says right before this in Matthew 5, where he says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. How do they see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven? He's explaining how. He's teaching us in this sermon on the Mount, how we glorify God in heaven, how they see our good deeds. And people are drawn to that. People are changed by that. They don't see that anywhere else in their life. They see in their life when someone hurts them, they hurt them back. And then they hurt you and you don't hurt them back. And they're like, whoa, that's weird. Ain't kind of cool. They're odds-runner. Not only that, but we know that, that uh, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the world, they're opposite of one another. See, in the kingdom of the world, it's all about being first. It's all about being the greatest. It's all about It's all about exalting yourself. It's all about finding your life. And the kingdom of heaven is opposite from the kingdom of the world. In fact, Jesus says it this way He says, If you want to be first, you must be last. You must be a slave to all. The disciples are arguing over who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know what Jesus says? He says, If you want to be greatest, you must be least. He says, Humble yourself and you will be exalted. Some of you are going around in your life and all you're trying to do is find your life. You're trying to find your purpose. You're trying to find all this stuff. And he says, those who try to find their life will lose it. But those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Then when you lose your life in me, that's when you actually find your life. You have to give it up. They're opposite of one another. Inside the kingdom of the world, is the kingdom of me. Inside the kingdom of the world is the kingdom of me. Let me, let me explain to you like this. Every single person in this room, including myself, is born a resident of the kingdom of the world. Every one of us are. This is a part of sin, this is a part of the sin nature that's been passed down from Adam to us. And so we're born a resident of the kingdom of the world. In fact, all of us, because we are that, all of us have sinned. The Bible tells us there's no one righteous, not even one. The Bible tells us that in Romans 3, 23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So every single one of us has sinned and every single one of us is is in this condition. And here's here's the deal. The thing about this is, is that you can see this. We call this the kingdom of me. The kingdom of me runs our life. It's all about what I want. It's all about what makes me happy. It's all about how I feel. It's all about my kingdom. And the kingdom of me sits on the throne of pride. In fact, if you go back and you look at the sin of Adam and Eve, you look at how Satan fell from heaven, it it is all rooted in pride. Adam and Eve fell because they ate a fruit, but what was the reason why they ate the fruit? They ate the fruit because Satan tempted them by saying that if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. I can be on my own throne. I can be the God of my own life. And we all wanna be the God of our own life. We love being the God of our own life. And the kingdom of me sits on the throne of pride. The problem is, is that this is a losing decision. It's a losing decision because in John chapter two, it's uh, first John chapter two, it says it's the kingdom of the world and its desires will pass away. Choosing the kingdom of the world over the kingdom of heaven is a losing decision because the kingdom of the world and its desires will pass away. When I was a little kid, I loved this game called King of the Hill. You ever played that game before? Loved that game. And as a part of playing the game King of the Hill, uh, I mean it didn't matter what it was—a pile of sand, a pile of leaves, a, a hill, anything. And we would get on there, and we would throw each other off and, and, and you know, try to see who could stay on the hill the longest. And, and there was a bunch of guys in my neighborhood, and my brother had a birthday party. My brother's two years younger than me, so I'm bigger than all his friends. So we're playing king of the hill one day, and I am dominating. It was awesome. I'm throwing my brother off. I'm throwing his friends off. They're tag teaming me. I'm like, you know, I mean, it was incredible. And I loved being the king of the hill, and I also loved being the king of my life. but we can't be the king of our life. At some point we realize that we have to do something different. See, I'm playing king of the hill and I'm dominating and then my neighbor shows up and he's three years older than me. And he's like twice my size and my reign was over. And at some point we got to realize, you know what? There's something greater, something bigger, something more amazing. And I need to surrender my kingdom to that. And let me tell you, this is a mistake we make. And I want to make this clear. What people do sometimes is they say, you know what, Derek, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying, pastor. Yeah, I realize it's the kingdom of me. I totally get this. This is my life. It's all about my success. It's all about my fame. It's all about my popularity. It's all about what I can get out of life. It's all about what makes me happy. It's all about how I feel. Like I get what you're saying. So you know what? I think I need to add a little bit of God to my life." And so what we do is instead of surrendering our life to the kingdom of heaven, we add God to our kingdom. And then God just becomes another thing in a list of things in our life. And so I have like my family, and then I have like my my hobbies, and I have like my career. And if you're a student, I have my school and have all these things. And then I kind of have my God box. And God just becomes another part of your life like everything else is a part of your life. And Jesus says this, he's like, listen, listen, listen. He can't be a part of your life. He must be the whole of your life. See, God is not okay being second in your life, but listen, he's also not okay being tied for first. And that's what we do. And so we think, oh man, I got eternity settled. I I got all this thing figured out and Jesus is part of my life and I come to church, but we've never really surrendered our life over to his kingdom and not giving your whole life It's like finding a treasure in a field, being excited about it, but then never doing anything about it. We begin to realize that it's not about adding God to our little kingdom, but it's about us becoming a part of his kingdom, which leads me to the most memorized verse in all of the Bible. When you understand this, this helps this scripture come alive. This is what makes John 3.16 so powerful. See, because here's what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish because the culture of the world, the wages of sin, the penalty of sin leads to death will not perish but have everlasting life. He goes on in verse 17 and says, for this, that's right, you can clap to that, that's good. He goes on to say, for the son of man did not come into the world to condemn the world, that the message of Christianity isn't about condemning people. It's about a message of love. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but he came in the world to save us, to save the world. And this is a whosoever believes situation. This is you, this is me, this is all of us who are born a resident of the kingdom of the world. And let me explain this to you. What's cool about this is that Jesus wasn't born a resident of the kingdom of the world. That's why when he stepped on the scene, he said, repent for the kingdom of hand has come near because he had come near. He was ushering in the kingdom of heaven because Jesus was born of a virgin. So he wasn't born with a sin nature. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Just like Adam was conceived without a sin nature. The difference is Adam was tempted in every way, yet Adam sinned. The Bible tells us Jesus tempted in every way, yet without sin. Jesus did it the right way. He was the spotless, sinless sacrifice for the sins of the world. So when Jesus went to the cross, Jesus didn't die on the cross for his sin. In fact, he didn't deserve death. He deserved life. So, when Jesus died on the cross, he died for your sin and for my sin. He took the weight of the sin of the world on his back and he died on the cross for not his sin, but your sin. He died the death that you were supposed to die so that you could have the life that you were not supposed to have. This is the good news, this is the gospel. This is what Jesus has accomplished. He died on the cross in your place for your sins so that you can have life and not just any old life, but eternal life. Listen, (laughs) when you understand this, you can literally understand the entire Bible, particularly the New Testament. Let me show you Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You can keep going. And then what happens is something really cool. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter five, that when we come a part of the kingdom of heaven, God begins to put the fruit of the spirit in us. The fruit of the spirit are things like love, joys, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are fruits of the spirit. In other words, these are things that actually rise up in us, not because we're trying to be more peaceful because we're Christian, but actually because God puts these things in us. Does our world need those things? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I love this in John chapter 17. It's the last thing that Jesus prayed before he was actually taken to the cross to be crucified. He prayed that we would all be one. And then he goes on and he says, so that they will know that I love them. How does the world know that Jesus loves them? when we are one, when we are unified. He's teaching us how to let our light shine before others that they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. So let's look back at that scripture. Let's put it back on the screen that we started with. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So now that we understand what the kingdom of heaven is, we need to understand that Jesus brought it near. And our step in this equation is to repent. Repent means a change of direction. It means going in an opposite way from the way you're running. You're running from God, you're in rebellion, you're the king of your own life, you're doing things your own way, but as you turning from that and saying, God, I can't do this on my own anymore, Lord, I need you. And the truth is, is that for many of us, the greatest barrier, the greatest single barrier to us giving our lives to Jesus and submitting and understanding the fullness of life he has in the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom that we've built for ourselves. So I think there's two steps, two challenges today. The first is this, Jesus' platform was repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. What is your platform? See, I believe God's given us all a platform. He's given me a platform as a husband. He's given me a platform as a dad. He's given me a platform as a pastor, as a leader. He's given me a platform as a friend and he's given you platforms as well. What of your platform represents anything of that? I pray that it would. How is that affecting your platform? First John 2, 6 says, For those who claim to know him must walk as Jesus did. How is it that my platform looks different than Jesus' platform? The second is this. For some of you in here you say, you know what man, when you're up there talking, I sense that God is speaking right to me. And if I'm honest with myself, this is me to a T. I'm a resident of the kingdom of the world. Maybe I prayed some prayer when I was a kid, but I never repented and I never put my faith in Jesus. And today is the day that I need to surrender my life to God. I need to surrender my life to God through Jesus to be a part of God's kingdom. I would challenge you today to make that step. In fact, as the band comes out, I want to pray for you. Everybody just bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're in the room and you say, man, that's me. I need to surrender my kingdom to God's kingdom. I just want you to have a conversation with God right now in this moment. It's not about the words you say, it's about the heart and what you say in him. You might say something like, God, I thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, to make a way for me to have access to you because that sin separated me from you. And God, would you come into my life? Would you change me? I'm stubborn, Lord. I need you to knock me off my throne so that I can put you in the place that you need to be because the only way that life works is when you're on the throne. God, would you come in and save me and change me in Jesus' name? Amen. And So as we close out the service, that's what I want to challenge you to do. If that was you and you said, man, I... Today is the day that I need to give my life over to Jesus. I need to move from the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of heaven. When you prayed something like that, or you know that during this last song, you need to pray something like that. I want to challenge you to tear off a piece on your, your bulletins that you received when you came in and check the box. I don't know exactly what it says, but it probably says something like accepted Jesus, you know, received Jesus, my Lord and Savior, something of that nature. Check that so that a pastor can reach out to you so that someone can talk to you about next steps in your faith journey. And so, Father, just be over the the congregation today. Be over in all of our hearts. Be with us as we go out of here this week, Lord. May we make a kingdom impact and a kingdom difference in everything that we do in our life. Because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Our hope isn't found in who's gonna be the next president of the United States. Hope is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. God, would you put the pieces back together? We turn to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks for being a part of this week's podcast. If you have any prayer requests or praises, we'd love to hear from you. Just email our pastors and staff at prayers at newhopenc.org and we would love to pray for you. If you'd like to support the ministries of New Hope, just stop by one of our campuses or visit us online at newhopechurch.org. We hope you'll join us next week for the podcast,
3: and thanks for being a part of our church family.